0: few moments, uh, we're going to collect our offering. uh, But before we do that, uh, we want you to see and to hear um, about some of the impact uh, that your offerings make uh, for God's kingdom around the world. Uh, We we say frequently in here that uh, God has entrusted with us, uh, to us, the resources that we have. And we have the opportunity to invest them in helping other people encounter Him And come to find that life of fullness and fulfillment uh, that he brings. And one of the ways we do that is we invest in strategic partnerships with uh, kingdom workers all around the world. And uh, Eric and Kate and their family are some of them. And so if you guys would come on up, um, we're going to let them share a little bit about what's happening uh, in Turkana, Kenya, uh, for the name of Christ. You guys can be front and center. Sounds good. Um, So, maybe for uh, those that are here that aren't familiar uh, with your work, would you just kind of give an overview of uh, what's happening in Turkana, uh, what you guys are doing there?
1: Yeah, we've been there for about three years now. Um, And we work with a partner church called Community Christian Church. And really, what what I do is I do a few things I'm a pastor to pastors, and I also work with um, disciple making movements which basically is a way to have um, strategic Bible studies that involve all members of the church, not just pastors and leadership, and just seeing um, how they grow and and all that. Um, Caitlin does a lot with Che, which I don't know who's all familiar with that. But it's basically community health, and then we also have Bible lessons in with it. So um, we work with them and We try to help them also in a a coaching way. How do we help you guys reach your goals, Mm -hmm. and how can we help you reach it with your own resources and people? So, very good. Yeah,
0: Caitlin, will you speak a little bit more to the Che that you're involved with? Like, what are some the specific things you do?
2: Yeah. um, Since I've been in Kenya, I didn't really know what my community health evangelism ministry would look like, Um, and it's kind of become organically more with women and girls. Mostly. Um, We've done a lot with, I don't know if you've heard of Days for Girls. Um, It's an organization that provides reusable menstrual hygiene kits for girls who otherwise would lack these resources. And so we've been able to bless a lot of communities through that, reach a lot of people, and it's just kind of taken off from there. And a lot of health lessons have come of it, and a lot of Bible lessons have come of it, um, helping the women to see... Um, the way they were created by God and the beauty that is within them. So my hope is that these women would be then, you know, empowered to be leaders in their own communities because they already are. Mm -hmm. They just, you know, need to know that how much God loves them. And so it's become that. And also I think in the future, I would love to see the men learning more about um, women's health too. Uh, Right before I left, I had a lot of questions about that from men. So I'm excited to get back and... To tackle that—that's going to be really interesting. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and and it's all just for empowerment of the leaders that are already there doing so much good work. Very cool. Yeah. Is there
0: a is there a short uh, version of like I mean, how do two people from the Midwest um, end up in Turkana? Like, what what was the burden that that brought you there?
1: Um, I was. Okay, I'll I'll keep it short. But when I was in Bible college, I actually left Bible college for a year, running away from ministry, and um, God brought me to the mission field through that, where um, I thought I was going to Russia, and God was saying, no, you're going to Kenya. I said, I don't want to go to Kenya. Everybody goes to Kenya, Um, which I guess that might not be obvious, but there's a lot of missionaries in Kenya. Um, So, you know, from that I went and was just obedient. And what God wanted me to do, do even though I was completely, I did not want to get on the plane, and um, God placed me in the right place. Mm-hmm. So um, from that, um, Caitlin met me, and I brought her along. But <laughs> but God worked with her in really cool ways, and we don't have enough time to talk about that, unfortunately. Right. But we will be here to to talk to you, anybody who wants talked about it. But it's really neat to hear her side of the story as well, because yeah. God prepared her in a really unique interesting
0: way. And they'll be available over here after our worship experience if you want to visit with them, kind of at their booth. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I know that for many people, we, we don't even, can't even envision Turkana Kenya. I mean, we get sure. pictures and videos from you guys, right. but so what? what is the need, uh, one of the greatest needs related to uh, people encountering Christ in and, 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 and a Jesus way uh, in, in Turkana?
1: I think the... The, the Turkana is a desert place. Like we talk about, you guys see the pictures of the desert, but it's also a very disempowered place. They believe they need relief. Um, they need someone else to help them along. So I think a lot of, of what we're doing, actually everything we do, is to show them that you don't need anyone but Jesus to help you guys. Mm. You guys have all the resources. You don't need me to supply um, a new vehicle or something for you guys to do it. You guys have everything you need. Um, and almost helping them get to, um, basically to be empowered in that level, and it's happening, and it's really neat, because you're, you're seeing people, like when we were leaving, Caitlin said, like she's like, I can't wait to get back, and I feel the same way, as we were leaving, everyone was like, we need to make sure we're ready when you guys go, mm-hmm. and we're like, oh, thank you, you know, because that's what we were working for, is we're looking, yeah. we're looking for, hey, we don't need you, mm-hmm. we got this, and that's what, we're, that's what we're really hoping you're for. You're
0: helping them recognize dignity, worth, value in the eyes of our Creator and right. how that enables them to right. you know, find their place in exactly. that story. Very cool. That's yeah. awesome. Um, what are some things you're looking forward to? You guys return to Kenya in August or yeah, September. August. August. So, what are you looking forward to when you get back?
1: Um, I'm excited to see what happens with. I left some disciple makers there. They've already done three trainings on their own. We've trained them with the, tric- the curriculum. And from that, um, in 2018, there was 1,000 baptisms and 13 new churches. And it just keeps on multiplying. Mm -hmm. So I'm excited to get there and see how much happened with me gone um, and then how I can jump back into that. And also, there's some really neat conversations I was having with people. Um, So it was hard to go to leave, Mm -hmm. but we also knew it was time. What about you, Kate? Do you have, I mean, you mentioned the health stuff. Anything else? Uh,
2: Yeah, just that. Also, with our community health evangelism, we have... um, like local leaders that are, while I'm gone, continuing to do work and do Bible lessons and health lessons as they can, and so I'm excited to get back and see what's been done yeah. and, and to jump back in, like Eric said. Yeah. yeah.
0: Is there anything you guys are looking forward to in the present? Uh,
2: the...
1: Oh, maybe.
0: Yeah?
2: <laughs> <laughs> That's for you. I'm about to have a baby, yeah. if you can't tell. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, uh, the baby is due in March 6th, so we're excited about that as our family grows. Uh, Eric mentioned we have two other kids, and I think they're looking forward to a baby. They might not realize what that means for them, right. <laughs> but we're excited about it.
0: Very good, very good. Yeah. Well, we want to take the opportunity to pray over uh, the Pitts family here and the work that they're doing in the next few months, which will be... Uh, Filled with all kinds of excitement and new challenges, and then what happens as you're able to return? And then, afterward, I'm praying, then we'll collect the offering and move into the rest of our service. Father, I thank you for Eric and for Kate, their children. God, that you still, uh, through your spirit, prod and convict and lead us on unexpected adventures uh, to be a part of your work. And God, that you have led the two of them and now uh, the four of them and what will end up being the five of them to make a difference in Turkana in this season of their lives. May you guide them. May you sustain them. May you encourage them. Uh, May you continue to equip them for the challenges that come. Uh, We we do ask, Lord, that the next... uh, six weeks uh, would be um, good for them and that uh, the, the child would continue to be healthy and you'd keep Kate healthy and that uh, there'd be a good delivery experience and the joy of that child in the near future. Uh, thank you for your love and your hope and your mercy, Lord. And It's in your name we pray. Amen. Just a couple of important announcements we shared last week that next Sunday, uh, January 26th, uh, we're going to be casting some vision connected with what we're studying in Luke. Uh, And then that afternoon at 430 uh, we invite anyone who's invested in Lebanon Christian Church, uh, whether it's uh, you're a member or you've been heavily involved, uh, to come hear some more detailed things at 4.30, uh, right back in this space next Sunday. And then finally, we're challenging those who are able uh, to pray and to fast with us from sunrise to sunset. That doesn't mean you don't get to go to work. It doesn't mean that um, uh, you can't have another conversation, but just that on Monday the 27th from uh, sunrise to sunset, uh, you would devote yourself to praying for some specific things we'll share with you uh, next Sunday. And so uh, we're hopefully you'll plan for that. If you can't fast from food because your health doesn't allow it, then maybe choose something else. I was reminded last week from someone in our uh, our, our church that um, maybe if we're not able to fast from food, we could fast from social media, maybe from entertainment, uh, maybe from uh, uh, our cell phone or, or something that enables us to to, to to be directed back to the Lord when we have those feelings and those impulses. And so join us in that. Last week, we launched uh, into this new series uh, that we're going to be in all year. We're going to be looking at the Gospel of Luke. Uh, We're going to continue that, of course, today. Um, But before we get to the text, um, I wanted to share this concept that's become uh, more and more real to me. I don't know how long ago it was, uh, if I read it in a book, if I heard it in a personal conversation, But someone gave me some of the best relational advice I had ever received. Again, whether it was an author or a person, I don't know. But they told me the importance of not getting historical in a relationship. We don't want to get hysterical either, but it's important not to get historical. And so I'd asked uh, kind of my, myself, okay, what does that mean? What does that look like? And, and as I investigated that, the idea is that we would not go back into our past in a relationship, whether it's a relationship with your parents, whether it's relationships with a, a girl or a guy or, or a, a spouse, whether it's a relationship with a child, with a coworker, with a teammate, uh, with another student, that we wouldn't go back into the past to unearth negative things and use them as ammunition uh, in the present. That, that we wouldn't go back and find things that happened, something that someone did to us years ago, and then bring it up right now in the present to hurt them again. That's what it means to get historical in a negative sense. Um, I learned that that's rooted in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Paul tells us what love is. And he tells us that, that love is patient and love is kind. And one of the things he tells us about love is that Love keeps no record of wrongs. You guys can finish that sentence. And so in a relationship, again, whether it's a romantic relationship, a friendship with coworkers, if we don't resolve conflict in the present and we reach back into the past to keep bringing up these things, it's actually very harmful to a relationship. Luke's not talking about relationships in Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 25. But I bring that up because Luke does get historical in chapter 1, verses 5 through 25. But he gets historical in a positive sense. And that's what I've just come to learn in recent years is that I thought, well, if I can't get historical, I never want to reach back into the past. But I miss the benefit of looking back at the good things that had happened. When we reach back in a relationship and we're reminded of how someone has acted in the past, a behavior, a character trait that we see repeated, something good that's happened, it actually gives us feelings of joy and confidence and assurance, even in the present. And so while we don't want to look back and get historical when it comes to negative things, we want to look back and get historical when it comes to good things. We remember the very best about people and, and what makes them who they are and the great things that they do. And that's what Luke does in the first couple chapters of his gospel he gets historical he he takes us and he helps us through certain words and sentences to look back and see how God has continued to remain consistent to who he is and how he works he's not compromised his character he's still the same god he still sits on the throne if you weren't with us last week as we launched this series, I'd encourage you, if you haven't yet, to, to listen to our podcast, uh, to go online to our website and listen to our message, or go to Facebook and watch it. Because Luke tells us in those first verses of his gospel what his purpose is, why he even writes about Jesus' life. He, here's what he tells us in Luke chapter 1, uh, verses 3 and 4. He says that he wrote this orderly account. For Theophilus, it's who it's dedicated to, but it's for a much wider audience. And he says this in verse four, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Luke's purpose is to inspire confidence in Theophilus and people like him. People who are living towards the later part of the first century who have heard and been inspired by who Jesus is and what he's done, his message and his mission. And yet they're living in a time in that it's difficult and they're wondering if, if I've surrendered my whole life to this cause, is it really worth it? Are these things really trustworthy? And so he wants to inspire them with confidence to have a certainty about what he's been taught. He wants all believers to have a certainty about what they've been taught. And one of his primary ways he does that in the early chapters is by saying, okay, I want you to see that what happened with Jesus The events surrounding him and his coming and his life are connected to how God has been working all throughout history. This is just a continuation of what God is doing, what God has been up to. And so he gets historical in that sense. Um, That's going to come to life today in verses 5 through 25. In these verses, what you're going to see is uh, God through specific statements show us how he is still working and moving as he has throughout history. You're also going to be introduced to John. We're going to see how John the Baptist came to be. Chances are you've heard of him. You've heard of his uh, penchant for wearing camel's hair and maybe eating locusts. We're going to kind of see how he came to be and how that is directly connected to the work that God continues to do uh, in the world. And so we're going to get historical. Um, For those of you that like um, little nuggets of truth and and things you didn't know before, um, what we're going to be seeing today in these verses is what you might call an illusion. Now we talk about illusions when we think about magicians and uh, those people that stand on stage and they make things disappear or stuff, you know, kind of appear out of their sleeve. And it's like, wow, that's an illusion. That's an eye. An illusion is something that points back to something else. And, and Luke uses several things that point back to what God is up to, how he's still working, how he's still moving. He gets historical so, if you have your Bibles, find Luke chapter one. I want to read verses five through twenty five We're going to take them in sections today. If you weren't with us last week, um, we do have available at the back of the room these scripture journaling Bibles that have the text of Luke on one side and a place to take notes on the other. And we encourage you to grab one. If you grab one, you're going to find an envelope in it. It has $3 written on it. That's just if you're able to. It's a suggested donation. It offsets the cost of the Bibles. You can put it on the offering plate in, in a future week. If you can't, afford that three bucks, please still take a Bible. Please still use it. Also, you'll find on the table this week, as we had promised, uh, stickers that have the entire reading plan for Luke and what we're studying each week. And so you know what to read in preparation for the coming week. And so please grab that. If you, if you don't have one, just find it in your Bible, on your tablet, on your phone. We're going to jump right into Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 25. In these first verses, we get introduced to uh, John the Baptist, mother and father, Zechariah and Elizabeth. And here's what we learn. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord, But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. So after he's told Theophilus, uh, I want you to have confidence, he reaches back and he says, I want to tell you about Zechariah and Elizabeth. Parents uh, to John is what we'll eventually learn. He tells us a few interesting things. He tells us that they're married. We learned that Elizabeth is Zechariah's wife. We learn that Zechariah is a priest, specifically assigned to the division of Abijah. Uh, you could go to First Chronicles chapter 23 and chapter 24 and learn about the priestly divisions. And the division of Abijah is one of 24 different divisions that served in the temple uh, throughout the course of a year on behalf of God. And so, Zechariah is a priest. He kind of has that holy pedigree. But we also learn that Elizabeth has that holy pedigree. She's called a daughter of Aaron. Aaron, the brother of Moses. Uh, who the priestly line was founded through. And so you have these two people who have this priestly pedigree to an early first century person hearing this and reading this. They would have kind of associated that with a holy pedigree. Here are two people who are supposed to honor God with their lives because of who they are and where they came from and who they were connected to. But what I love about Luke is he doesn't just tell us they should be holy people. They should be people who are honoring God with their lives. He says they were honoring God with their lives. Look at the description in verse 6. He says, They were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. Uh, This expression highlights Elizabeth and Zechariah's obedience. It shows us that their hearts were completely dedicated to God. Now, here's something that we don't see through our English translations, and we probably don't see from our context, but if I'm someone 70, 80 AD, hearing these words for the first time, I'm familiar with what God has done and how he's worked through his people. When I hear about someone being righteous before God and walking blamelessly, I start envisioning other people who these words have been said of. Noah. Noah. Moses, Abraham. I'm beginning to see that perhaps Zachariah and Elizabeth have a special role to play in what God is doing and and what he's up to. But but then I get to verse seven and I hear, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. There, There was this belief throughout Jewish history that if you were honoring God with your life, that would be evidenced if you were a woman uh, through the number of children you were able to have. And so for the early readers of Luke to hear, they were blameless. They walked with God. They honored God. And the very next statement is, but they had no child. They'd be asked the question, what? They honored God. How do they have no child? And then we begin to think, were there any other couples in God's history who were advanced in years, who walked blamelessly before God, who lived righteously and had no children. As we think back through the history of God's people, maybe we think of Abraham and Sarah, righteous before God, blameless, advanced in years, but they had no child. And maybe we think of uh, another couple who is righteous. We're told in 1 Samuel that Elkanah and his wife Hannah honored God and were devoted to him. And yet they too, Had no child. And so, if we're someone like Theophilus who has the backstory of God's people, if we're someone like the early readers, we begin to see that God is up to something. That God is still using his faithful followers in surprising ways. God's still using his faithful followers in surprising ways. He's getting historical. For for someone who is wanting to inspire confidence, who's, who's, who's built their whole life around Jesus, but now they're questioning it, he's saying, listen, God is still doing great things through his faithful people, but he does it in surprising ways. If we're going to have confidence in who God is and what he's done and what he's doing through Jesus, you and I have to remember that God still uses his faithful followers in surprising ways. Do we live with an element of expectation? Do you live with an element of anticipation? Do you you live your life asking, God, as I honor you, as I follow you, how are you going to work today? Well, what do you want to use me for? Who do you want me to speak to? How do you want me to live? Let me ask you this. Did you come into this place today to worship among other people with an anticipation? That God was going to teach you something. That he was going to meet you in a special way. That he was going to stir you in a special way. That he was going to challenge you in a special way. That's the type of life he wants us to live with. His anticipation, expectation that he will continue to work through his people as we honor him in surprising ways. It's a connection to the same God that's been working throughout history. He's always worked through his faithful people in surprising ways. God still does that. I think you can begin to feel uh, some of the the excitement, some of the encouragement that would have been coming to Theophilus and the first readers and hearers of Luke. Wait a second; it's almost as though what Luke is doing is, if you have a boat uh, uh, sitting on a dock and, and and there is going to be a storm coming in, the, the the owner of that boat or a crew for that boat will then take ropes and they will tether that boat to something strong that doesn't move. And as these people they're, if they're, their life is the boat as they follow Jesus in the first century, Luke's helping draw these ropes and to tie it down and say, listen the God that you follow, the God that you believe in, he can be counted on because he's still the same God. He's still the same God who created the heavens and the earth. He's still the same God who parted the sea for Moses and the people. He's still the same God who's done all these things. He's still working through his faithful people in surprising ways. And that should fill you with hope and encouragement. But there's more here that points back to who God is and how He still does what He's always done. Verses eight through 10, kind of um, they just kind of speak of routine. Uh, now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty. According to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. Well, this is new to us. This is just kind of routine. People who would have seen uh, priests in the temple, this is just what they do. Uh, Each priestly division, uh, 24 of them, was assigned two weeks out of the year uh, in addition to the biggest holy festivals and holidays. And so that priestly division, uh, in this case, Zechariah's division of Abijah, would go to the temple two weeks out of the year. And they would man everything related to the temple. There were probably a few hundred of them, if not a few more. and, And they would have different jobs. And... Each priest would have the opportunity likely once and only once in his lifetime to be the one who brings incense into the temple. And so the lots are cast, Zechariah is chosen, and he does what he's seen done for years. What he's been taught to do, he takes the incense into the, uh, the sanctuary to offer it to the Lord. The symbolism is that he's bringing the prayers of the people before God and they go up to the Lord. He, he speaks on behalf of the people. He prays to God on behalf of the people. And just like happened every other day, the people outside pray and they pray for God to move and for God to act. It's all routine. But isn't it just like God to take something that's routine and do something incredible? Because look at what happens, verse 11. And there appeared to him, An angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. Uh, Things just got crazy. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid. An angel was a messenger of God. I think it's interesting that Luke, the first words that he delivers on God's behalf in his entire gospel are these Don't be afraid. Maybe your, your Bible says, Fear not. What does that tell us about God and his desire to have a relationship and to be close to his people? The angel says, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. As I was studying this this week, the question I couldn't get out of my head was, was Zachariah still praying that prayer? Like, here's a man advanced in years, his wife's advanced in years, they've not been able to conceive. Was Zachariah still actively praying, hey God, I know we're old, I know it's not really possible, but will you still give us a child? Or had Zachariah given up on that dream and that prayer? I don't know this for for sure, but this is my opinion that Zachariah had probably given up on that prayer. He just had probably written that off to the things that he'll never understand. Because what we'll see in verses 18 through 23 is that his response is not exactly in keeping with someone who is expecting God to act on that. He says, Don't be afraid, I'm going to answer your prayer. I, I, I don't know how I would respond if I was Zechariah, but if I'm in a sanctuary and an angel's speaking to me and he tells you I'm going to have a child, at that point, I just start blurring out the rest of what's being said. Like, what? But what the angel says is so important. He says, this is not only going to be a, a reason for joy and gladness for you. It's not hard for us to realize that. It may be hard for some of you that are a little bit younger who haven't haven't seen a a younger sibling born yet or you've not had a a niece or nephew born or you've not had your own child, but but there's a lot of excitement and joy that comes with the birth of a child. So he says there's going to be joy and gladness for you. But it's not just joy and gladness for you. You have to understand, Zechariah, that this is way bigger than you and Elizabeth and this baby. Keep in mind there are people praying outside. There are people praying outside that God would fulfill his covenant with them. That God would come through and keep his promises. That God would restore Israel. They are praying for the disgrace of Israel to be lifted. And when God answers that prayer for Zechariah, he says, there's not just going to be joy for you, there's going to be joy for all the people because I'm about to lift the disgrace of the people. And I'm about to work and move in a whole new way. And he tells them how. John's going to be a special kid. We see this in, in verse 15, he's going to be great before the Lord, must not drink wine or strong drink. Now, while this isn't what we would call a Nazarite vow, it brings to mind others in Israel's history who were set apart and they weren't allowed to touch wine or fermented drink. We have another thing that singles him out, that he'll be fe- filled with the Holy Spirit from birth. He's saying that, that John is going to be set apart for God's purposes. And then he details what those purposes are. That he's the one who's going to come. He's going to turn the children of Israel to God. He's going to go before, in the spirit of power of Elijah, before Jesus is what it turns out to be, to turn the hearts of fathers to the children, the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And if we're not paying attention, what we miss here is that the angel uses the final words of Malachi chapter 4. In Malachi chapter 4, God has spoken through his messenger. We studied Malachi last year. You may remember it's kind of this courtroom scene. God's bringing his charges against the people, how they've neglected him, how they've disobeyed him. But at the end of Malachi, he has this passage where God reminds them that he will remember them. He will fulfill his covenant. He will come through for them. He can be counted on. And look at what he says in Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. See, I will send the prophet Elijah or one like the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. The angel says, What the people of God have anticipated that God will keep his word, that God will still come through, that's coming to pass in John. He's the one who will come and prepare the way for the Messiah, for the rescuer, for the one that, that, that redeems the world and rescues the world. That's huge. What do we see here that links back to the past? Not only does God still use his faithful workers in surprising ways, but God still uses his obedient children to prepare the way for Jesus. John will be used to help prepare people's hearts for Jesus. And do you know that God's still doing the exact same thing? God still uses men and women, young and old, who are set apart, who believe in him in faith, who followed him, who've repented of their sins, been immersed into his life. His spirit fills them and he uses them to help other people come to know him. What well, we've just heard from, from Eric and Kate and their work in Turkana, they're going and God is using them to help prepare the way for other people to encounter Jesus. And God does the same thing not only through them but other kingdom partners around the world and he wants to do the same thing through you. He wants to use you where you are, in your circles of influence, in your family, in your school, on your team. He wants to use you in your workplace, in your community to help prepare the way. So as you live, as you're living a life set apart, you can help other people encounter him and come to life in him. The same God that has worked this way throughout history was working this way in Luke's day and he's still working this way. That should inspire confidence and certainty surrounding Jesus for you. We we have these verses in, in, in 1 Peter chapter 2. I don't know if you're familiar with them or not, but 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 9. Look at how those who follow Jesus are described. He says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation set apart, is what holy means. God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You're my children. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. He says that something changes when you encounter him. Now you get to go out and declare him to the world. God still uses those who are set apart to draw men and women to Jesus. There's another thing we learn about God here is that God still does big things when his people pray. Zechariah had been praying that prayer. For how long, when he had stopped, I don't know. But God answered it. Something you're going to see in Luke throughout this year, you're going to see if you study the book of Acts, that Luke always shows that when God's people pray, big things happen. We have a God who answers prayer There's a God who had answered prayer throughout history. There's a God who answered prayer in Luke's day. And we still have a God who answers prayer. What bold things are you praying for? What bold things are you asking him for? Are you asking him for things that only he can do, only, only he can get credit for? God still does big things when his people pray. Here's the final thing I want you to see about God this morning is that He still works through imperfect people who sin. Verse 18, the angels talk to Zechariah. He's had this supernatural experience and look at his response. And Zechariah said to the angel, the messenger of God, how shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. That question seems innocent on the surface, doesn't it? And we're going to see next week as we look at the angel's announcement to Mary, she asks how. And we we want to relate those and say they were just both asking God, how are you going to make this happen? But when we look at the original language, we see an incredible difference. Mary's is based on an assumption that God would act. Zechariah's question is actually demanding proof and questioning whether or not God will come through. The the most direct translation of how shall I know this in English would be on what basis, God? Prove it. I'm old. My wife is old. Can I trust you in this? He questions God. He doubts God. And look at the response. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. Gabriel. We don't know his name until now, but when Zechariah hears this, he would have remembered Gabriel appearing to Daniel. He would have known that Gabriel is one of the top angels, messengers of God. I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring to you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place. Because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time, you didn't have faith, Zechariah. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. He he comes out of the temple, uh, doing charades. You know, he's, he's trying to describe what he's seen. And so here's a guy who's represented God on behalf of the people who would have loved to have the opportunity to come out and to tell a waiting crowd, guess what, guys? God's keeping his promise. He's coming through. And because he disobeyed God, because he doubted, he wasn't able to do that. And while we can get hung up on Zachariah's lack of faith, Here's the beauty, is that God still uses him. You fast forward to Luke chapter one, verse 57, and you read down, John is born to Elizabeth. They ask, what should we name this child? And they go to Zechariah and he writes down the name John. He learns, and God uses him, even though he's imperfect, even though he's made a mess of things in that moment. You and I have to remember That God has continued to use imperfect people to accomplish his purposes throughout history. Do our misdeeds, do our sins, do our actions sometimes change how he can use us? Yes. Do they change what that looks like sometimes? Yes. Do they affect other people sometimes? Yes. But God still uses imperfect people. And, and, And history is full of them. Noah got drunk and his children saw his nakedness. Adam and Eve ate from the fruit that was forbidden. Uh, David slept with one of his best friend's wives while he should have been on the battlefield with him. Moses killed a man. And the list goes on and on how God still uses imperfect people to accomplish his purposes. And God will still use you. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've gone, no matter what you've said, he will still use you. Then I love verses 24 and 25. There's this, the fancy word here is juxtaposition, but you may not know what that means. It's when you kind of contrast and see two things on either end. We have Zechariah who doesn't obey, and then look at what it, how it describes Elizabeth. You're going to find that as we study Luke that, that Luke loves highlighting women who are faithful. And so here's what he says in verse 24. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. Keep in mind, she wasn't there in the temple. He couldn't speak to her. He comes home from the road and they do the things that married couples do. And then suddenly she realizes that, I don't feel so well. I'm kind of sick in the morning. Could could it be? For five months, she kept herself hidden. We don't know why she hid herself. But we do know this. Here's what she said. The Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among the people. You know what she's saying there? God still loves me. God still cares about me. God still does. So let's take a step back. We have a account of Jesus' life given to people who were struggling with whether or not They could have the assurance and the confidence in aligning their life around him. And the very first thing that Luke does is reach back and keep pointing back and keep tying the ropes and saying, listen, the same God who's been working from the beginning is the same God who's working now. Can you imagine the encouragement that would come to those early followers of Jesus? God still does. God God still works through his faithful and he does it in surprising ways. That means God can come through for me. I can expect that. God still uses those of us who are set apart to to accomplish his purposes and draw people to him. I can still be a part of that. God still does big things when his people pray. I'm going to keep praying. God still uses imperfect people, even people like me. Can you imagine the encouragement that comes to them? I hope that as you study Luke with us, you'll be encouraged that God is a God who still does. He still does the impossible. He still works on behalf of his people. He has not grown silent or annoyed with us to the point that he no longer works on our behalf. God still does. And that means that God still can for you. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for your rich words to Luke. Thank you for the hope that's found in you. God, thank you for the ability to get historical and to look back at who you have been, to be reminded of who you are and who you will be. God, I love the refrain in the prophecy of Isaiah in Revelation, that you are the God who was and is and is to come. You always will be. You are consistent. You are steadfast. And we live in a world where we need that certainty. Help us, Father, be reminded that you still do. And it's in your name we pray and trust the name of Jesus. Amen.